Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we're going to continue our series today called Hope at Christmas. When you think about Christmas, what kind of memories come to mind? Uh, I hope they're good memories. I hope they're like wonderful memories. You're thinking of your family getting together or your close friends getting together. And, but I, I don't know about you, but I also often remember the ones that didn't go so good. You know what I'm talking about? The, the occasional board game being flipped in your home. Anybody have that happen around Christmas time? Maybe the, the little, little, bit, little bit of Christmas drama. Maybe the turkey being burnt. I like on National Lampoon's. Uh, Christmas vacation where he goes to cut the turkey and it opens up all dry and nasty. It's like the one part of that. I, I'm like, I can't, I can't look. But what I, what I have found is that sometimes this most wonderful time of year doesn't always live up to its title, does it? You know, we focus so much on Christmas Day being just the perfect day for our families or whoever we're spending time with that day. And yet sometimes as we are developing this perfect day and working towards making it this perfect day, we've all of a sudden made the Christmas season the most busy and stressful time of year. Maybe it's the, the constant tracking of online orders. Anybody going through that this week? I got one that's looking pretty dicey right now. That I'm like, uh, this week is like, come on, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm growing closer to God because I'm praying every day for this order to not get messed up so that Christmas is perfect. You know what I'm talking about? Asking, why is Amazon a week behind? It's supposed to be next day, right? It's Amazon's fault that you're behind on this, not your own. Um, or maybe it's, the, maybe it's the constant checking of the credit card limit. Feels like that movie Hacksaw Ridge. Please, Lord, give me one more. <laughs> Let it handle one more. Please, Lord, give me one more purchase. Or what about maybe Christmas comparison? Have you gone through that? just trying to get the right gift for the people in your life? Have I done enough to make the Christmas season special for my family? Or what are these other parents getting their kids? I need to, you know, make sure that Santa Claus is a socialist and everybody gets the same level of everything. Um, or maybe you're in a divorce situation and you're just trying to do better than your ex. Come on, we could be real this morning. If we're not careful before we know it, We've taken so much hope out of the Christmas season and we've replaced it with stress, anxiety, worry, and busyness. And if you're struggling with these things today, I want to encourage you that you're not alone. A lot of us go through these stressful seasons at Christmas time. And you're not weird for not being 100% excited and Christmassy spirit all the time. I don't know the word for it, but just because you're not acting like Buddy the Elf, it doesn't mean you're the Grinch. Sometimes we can even be excited and, and, and be in a good mood, yet something doesn't feel right. We often spend the season thinking about the gifts that we're trying to go over and above with or we're trying to fill or trying to please people or just trying to get everything right. And we're trying to fill a void that we have inside of us. Maybe it's not a gift. Maybe it's an expensive vacation that we think this will finally satisfy that feeling of discontentment that I often feel after this season. You know, I think that's why Boxing Day was created. 
We have this big day where we get all this stuff and, and you know, it's, it's all this big, huge, it's like the biggest day of the year for so many people. And then we end that day, we come to a close after the meal, we still feel a little bit discontent. So the, re, the retailers took advantage of that and they got us in their stores the next day getting deals. Um, they kind of end up like Kylo Ren, where they, you know that clip where he's like, more, more, more. It's kind of how I feel about retailers these days. Um, but how do we get our mind right at Christmas? Is it being generous with gifts? Is it going door to door singing carols? I heard some of those voices this morning. I don't think that's it. Um, just kidding, guys. I'm trying to loosen you up this morning. Choking. Is it going and feeding people who are less fortunate than us? Is it listening to Christmas music? Is it not listening to Christmas music? How do we keep our spirits truly merry and bright this Christmas? I want to talk about the Christmas story a little bit this morning. You know, we hear the Christmas story. A lot of people have heard it, whether you're in church or not. We hear it in movies. We do hear it at church. Um, We might even read it to our families once a year. But why is it that this story that's filled with so much hope often goes in one ear and then out the other? Like when I'm telling my four-year-old to clean the house, right? In one ear and out the other. The, the Christmas story, the hope that's in it, often, that often happens to us. I want to encourage you this morning that the Christmas story is it's not a fantasy. It's not a cute little children's story to make you feel all warm and fuzzy at Christmas time. Just because there's action, action figures in movies about it, it doesn't make it fictional. Anybody got action figures, Christmas action figures in your house? I got my, my mother-in-law got us a manger scene this week. Now we have Jesus and Mary and Joseph action figures in our house. But this Christmas story is a story that's full of hope that changed everything and continues to bring life and hope and an incredible future for our lives. It's not just about what happened back then. It's also about the future that we're coming into and why we can have so much hope at Christmas time. I wonder this morning, could I give you five verses from the Christmas story that will fill you with hope? Could I just give you five of these? I don't, we, don't, we don't have to go through the whole story this morning, but if we could just, just give five lines, five texts, five little scriptures from this story that will fill you with hope this morning. I wonder if I could do that. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2. And the Christmas story is in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Um, But we're going to read mostly from Luke this morning uh, for two reasons. One is I find that Luke is more detailed in his writing. Luke was a physician and he just seemed to pick out some uh, interesting things like that. But also, uh, a lot of scholars believe that Luke actually got his information from this story from Mary herself, from the person who was there. He writes it from Mary's perspective. So it's kind of interesting that hopefully from, from what we read, what scholars believe is that this is actually coming from the mouth of Mary written by Luke. And Luke chapter two eleven says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people, for unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to focus on that line, fear not. You can be full of hope when you don't fear. You can be so full of hope when you do not fear. What a simple yet annoying and what feels like almost impossible at times phrase, fear not. Have you ever been in a situation where fear made you just freeze? You know what I'm talking about? Because fear is paralyzing. Like you get in an argument with somebody that you didn't expect and they're just coming at you. They're saying all this stuff and in the moment you have no comebacks because we had fear in our lives, which is why God is 
so clear about getting fear out of our lives because fear freezes us. You know, you look back at that conversation or that argument and you think, oh, if I had another chance at that. You know what I'm talking about? I would have said this way. I would have burned them. Man, I would have brought up how their mom was slightly overweight and all that stuff. That's what we did in junior high, okay? Don't judge me. Um, But fear paralyzes you in a moment. Whether it keeps you stuck where you are, whether it's a job or a relationship or moving from a home or, or parenting or whatever, fear paralyzes us. That's why I love the scripture. It just fills us with so much hope that we say, we can fear not. We'll be full of hope. We get fear out of our lives. 1 John 4, 18, I love this scripture. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, it casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I wanna encourage you this morning that if you got fear in your life, that's okay because perfected in love is a never ending process. This, this fills me with so much hope because I don't have to, if I'm afraid of different things, I don't have to focus on those fears and say, okay, I just have to get this fear out of my life and I'll be okay. What do I do? I just focus on the love of God because love casts out that fear. And so I just focus on how good my God is, how much he's done for me, how much he'll continue to do for me. And I, I just focus on loving him, being intimate with him. And what happens is he's knowing him and intimacy with, with him will cast out that fear. We're never gonna get this perfect, but it's something that we can develop over time. And in this scripture, the words fear has to do with punishment are translated literally to fear has punishment. Fear carries with it a kind of torment that's its own punishment, isn't it? That we, we, we rehearse situations over and over in our head thinking, what if this happens or what if it goes that way? And all of a sudden we find that the fear that's developed inside of us is actually starting to uh, torment us. When I was a kid growing up, I, I, learning about God and stuff, I got confused about a lot of things. And what happened to me was I started to develop this fear of eternity. And because I didn't know God very well, I was starting to learn him. Uh, I, I, my, I had heard about eternity and it terrified me. We had uh, Pastor Whitney George in a couple years ago, and he talked about how his Sunday school teacher, they would have this horrible worship. Like, it was just terrible music that they'd play in kids' church. And uh, they, when they were done, the, the end of that worship, his, his, they'd be like, it's finally over with. His, his uh, Sunday school teacher would say, kids, this worship like we just did, we're gonna do that forever in eternity. And he's like, oh my gosh, no. Please, God, no. Um, I think sometimes people get messed up about eternity because they think that like, it's gonna be like, they take literally what the scriptures say about us playing harps and stuff like that. You don't have to be a musician to go to heaven. Okay, you, you know, and we're not gonna get to heaven and start to take music lessons so that we can play music for the rest of our lives. The, the reason that the Bible uses um, these sort of symbols of music is because that uh, music is that one thing that kind of starts to get our souls connected and, and helps us kind of drift off into this um, I don't know how to say it, but that music helps us just connect with God and and takes us out of a reality in such a way that takes us into a new place. And so you could find that in something else besides music, but the Bible uses that as sort of a, anyways, that was a tangent that I wasn't fully prepared to explain. But I just want you to say that if you hate the harp, don't worry, you don't have to listen to the harp for an entire eternity in heaven. Um, All right, all my harp-hating people, let's get our praise on this morning. But I was terrified of eternity as a kid. 
I was so afraid of it. It might have had to do with the fact that I was doing uh, children's church in the funeral home next door um, being taught about purgatory by the teacher who wasn't supposed to be teaching us about purgatory. I don't know. Um, But anyways, it was... I was so scared of it. And the Left Behind movies made it worse. I don't know if you know what the Left Behind movies are, but there were these movies that were made end times seem so scary. And they had horrible theology about a secret return of Christ that's not even in the Bible. Anyways, it was terrifying to me. I, I, I say all this to say I was so afraid of eternity that it would torment me and I couldn't sleep at night because I was thinking about eternity. Why did, all, why, why did I go through all of this? Because I didn't fully know God, so I didn't fully trust God, so I didn't fully love God. And, and what would happen happened was once I started to know and love God more, it casted out that fear. That as I got older and started to learn about God and grow my love for God, I was able to cast away all that fear and start to gain knowledge about what eternity really looks like. I was afraid because I didn't trust God. Sometimes we can be afraid of God, afraid of the risk that God is asking us to take, afraid of the loss that comes with that risk, afraid of consequences. And all of these things lead us to an inner torment. But as Uh, we start to reject fear. We start to develop a confidence in God. And confidence brings us hope. And I am confident, and you can be confident today in our God and all the plans he has for your life. We don't need to be afraid. We just need to develop our love for God because our perfect love will throw away fear. See, fear and love are incompatible. His love ensures that we are saved and we're not punished. And if we fear it shows, that shows in itself that we have not been made perfect in love. The perfecting of love brings us confidence. And, I, you know, in the parable our pastor talked about a couple weeks ago, the parable of the three um, servants with the talents and the wicked and lazy servant. So all the, the other servants, they doubled their talents and, and the wicked and lazy servant, he had one talent and he, he didn't double his talents like the other ones did. And, and the the when the master confronts him about it, uh, he says, well, why did you do that? The first line, the, the first thing he says to the master is, I was afraid. So I hid my talent in the earth. Here's your money back. The Bible calls him wicked and lazy for that. That fear paralyzes us. We don't have to be afraid. The Bible says 365 times in the Bible says we're to fear not. Fear is a liar and a thief and it has no place in your life this Christmas. Next not line I love that just, I, I just think will fill you with hope this Christmas. So you get fear out and it'll fill you with hope. Next thing I love is Luke chapter two, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill to, towards men. When I give God glory, I'm full of hope. God is to be glorified in our lives. This sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? Like what kind of narcissistic God needs us to glorify him all the time. Can I just live my life? Why should I have to give God glory all the time? He made me. It's like, you know I love you. Do I have to say it? Not a great recipe for a good marriage, by the way. Um, But here's what we got to catch. What glorifies God is always what's best for our lives. So honesty glorifies God. That's best for our lives. Generosity glorifies God. That'll make us into the best version of ourselves. Uh, Compassion, it glorifies God. That'll make us into the best version of ourselves. Serving people, serving God, that will make us into the best version of ourselves and that glorifies God. When I glorify God, I put him in his rightful place 
in my life and it will start to fill me with hope. See, many Christians know that Jesus is Lord. The problem is they don't live with him as Lord of their life. They see God or they see Jesus, they see our Lord as more of a lifesaver. Like I'm gonna go for a swim. I'm gonna go live my life. I'm gonna do my own thing. And when I am drowning, Lord, come and save me. I'm down with the savior part, not so down with the Lord part. Or they see Jesus as a vending machine and they push B for whenever they want something. God, before my marriage falls apart, would you save me? God, before my car falls apart, would you give me a new one? God, before this house is closing in on us, I need a bigger one. And we often live with ourselves as Lord of our lives. And then we call on God when we need something. And no wonder we have no hope. Because God is not in the rightful place in our lives because we haven't been glorifying him. And what happens is when we don't glorify God, when we have ourselves as Lord of our life, that means when we go through things, we think that it requires me fixing it. And we think it's always about us all the time. And, and, and we think it's all about our plans and having things right and, and set in the right ways and all the weight is on our shoulders. But when we glorify God, we know that it's his plan. We know that I can follow him, that I can trust him. And it's no wonder we have no hope because we haven't been relying on God. He hasn't been Lord. He hasn't been the leader. When I give God glory, it helps me get my priorities straight. Yet people will, will get it mixed up. They'll see God like this vending machine. So instead of him being Lord, it's always give me what I want. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of this. This might be a morbid example, but whatever. Let's, let's roll with it. We need some morbidity at Christmas. It's too happy. <laughs> people get mad at God for not answering their prayers the way they've been praying them. Well, God's supposed to just do what I ask him. He, he, he's supposed to answer prayers. And so it, this often, people will often walk away from God for this reason, because they were praying for someone who was sick and that person ends up dying and then we end up mad at God. God, you didn't heal them the way I was asking for. I wanted it to go this specific way. And I get it, grief is tough. And it is a, it's, it's, it's okay to question God in those seasons. It's even okay to doubt sometimes as long as we stay close to him and work with him on it, not get distant from him. And that's what people do. They get distant from him. And they say, God, why didn't you answer this the way I've been asking you to answer it? Meanwhile, that person that you wanted them here on earth, because that's where you are. Meanwhile, that person is in heaven. They lost all the weight they were trying to lose. They, they have no more debt anymore. They, they, they're completely out of debt way faster than the Dave Ramsey baby steps, okay? Just die and go to heaven, no more debt. And uh, they get to see the people that they missed. And it's a perfect 25 degrees in heaven. They don't have to shovel every day. And, and they spend their entire eternity working on their golf swing and hanging out on the beaches of heaven. And you're saying, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? God is not an omnipresent vending machine. He doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. I think of the story of Noah. And sometimes we're going through a situation like Noah, where God's saying, I, I just need you to build this specific thing right now. I think of Noah starting to build that boat and seeing his family going on an all-inclusive vacation to Wabo Cabo or whatever. I don't know. I, it's, I have never gone on an all-inclusive vacation, but he's seeing his family go off. And he's going, God, do I really need to build this boat? They're going two weeks 
all-inclusive. You know how many pools are on that resort? You know, I think he's building that boat. Like, God, the, the guys are going to the pub tonight. I would love to go get some fish and chips at the pub with the boys. Now build the boat. You know, we, we, we keep seeing these other people living their lives. And God's saying, just, just trust, just keep building that boat. I'll tell you what, when it started raining, Noah was sure happy that he, he answered the call of God on his life. And he just kept building that boat and building that boat. And he was ready for the time when the storm came. Come on, can you trust God enough to build the boat when it looks like there's other fun things to do at the time? Sometimes right now, you just gotta build that boat. Glorify God. We can find hope in knowing that God sees the whole picture and that the answer isn't just, oh, you didn't have enough faith or you need to have enough faith. God has his own plan and does things his own way and sometimes we just don't understand that. We just have to trust that. And this Christmas season, it's not just about God giving to us. What fills us with hope is us actually giving back to him. It reminds us of how big our God is and the rightful place he has in our lives. And I love that this, this verse ends on goodwill towards men. This can be translated to he extends his favor towards people who've done nothing to deserve it. Come on, isn't that just a great description for your life and mine? That God just extends his favor to people who don't deserve it. Luke chapter 1, 28 to 35. Sorry, chapter 28 to 30. It says, greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. This is an angel talking to Mary. Uh, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You can be full of hope this Christmas because God's favor is on your life. Look at who God chooses to exalt in this story that he knew we would all look back on as a hope for the, the rest of our time. He chooses Mary. Mary, a, a mid-teen, a nobody in her culture. Like, she, she wasn't important. She's just a teenager waiting to be married. This simple dude. Like, the, she was not royalty, yet God chooses to exalt her. Like, shouldn't have Jesus have been born into, like, royalty? Like, shouldn't it have been like what we see in Aladdin where like, you know, there's like this big, you know, parade about him and it's this big, awesome thing with whatever. Maybe you haven't watched Aladdin in a while, but um, no, he's born to Mary, this humble person. I love this Psalm 138. It says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. And the problem is we live in a world that tells us that we should be elite, that we should have influence, that we should be important, that, you know, it's always about, you know, how we're building ourselves up. But God builds the humble. God chooses to use the humble. God, God chooses to use people who are, who are just like, God, I'll just do whatever for you. And he exalts Mary in this way. And then, and then it's not only Mary, uh, this nobody in this town that was like, just not a big deal. It's not only Mary he chooses, then who does, again, who does God go and, and tell first? Who do the angels come to first? They go to shepherds. Now you and I see shepherds as, oh yeah, man, shepherds are cool. They're always at the manger scene. They got their staffs, you know, like they bring these beautiful lambs in. It's all good. Shepherds are awesome. That wasn't what shepherds were. In, in, back in the day, nobody thought shepherds were cool. In fact, they were even uh, a despised and a very unexpected group 
to be the first people who were told. They're just these humble people out in the middle of nowhere. I was like, what's, what's the Alberta equivalent to a shepherd? Maybe like a, what's the word for it? A, uh, a roughneck in the oil fields. You know what I'm talking about? We need you roughnecks. We need everybody doing this job. Yeah, Alberta, oil, great. But it, that's how I, I would say it would be like. It'd be like, yeah, those guys that go up to oil patch don't really know what they do. You know, like we don't see them as like, you know, we, we think about people of influence, people being used by God. We think of maybe leaders. You know, maybe we think of like politicians. Maybe not so much. I, the rumor really didn't. Uh, but you, you think of like people at high authorities, yet God chose to use a roughneck out in Fort McMurray. God chose to come and speak to a shepherd in the middle of the field. Somebody who wouldn't fit in with the urban elites. People look down on shepherds, yet God chose to reveal his, his savior to them first. This is the favor of God. The favor of God is on your life and that should fill you with hope this Christmas. That that same God can give you favor, just like he gave Mary. He selected Mary. Why? Because she wasn't trying to, you know, get out in front and say, God, use me. That's what we do sometimes. We pray that prayer. God, I just want to be used. But the prayer should be, God, I just want to be usable. God, I, I, don't, I don't need the influence. I don't need the platform. God, just make me, give me a heart of someone who's humble enough to be usable. The favor of God can fill us with hope. You may not get everything right. You may have made mistakes. You may have allowed some pride in your life, but the favor of God should fill you with hope because you get what you don't deserve and you don't get what you do deserve. It's not all in your own strength. Just like Mary found favor with God, we can do the same. And when we, have, we feel like we haven't seen the favor of God on our lives in a while, it's an important time to remember this verse in Matthew 1 verse 23. Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Not Lin-Manuel, the guy from Hamilton. <laughs> Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel. What? Why, why, why is that word important? Can't we just call him Jesus? You know, I thought it was just the Godhead three in one. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Like, why do we, why do we have this name? This name reminds us who God is. It means God with us. You can be full of hope because God is with you. In the Hebrew language, the term for name would probably have meant sign or distinctive mark. So the name and the person, the label and who God is are inseparable. Now, this is funny because in Judges chapter 13, um, verses 18, it tells us that God's name is beyond understanding. We're never fully going to understand God, and that's good. Who wants to serve a God that you can fully explain perfectly? And I know exactly what he does. You know, it's, it's beyond us. But God has so many names because they are indicators of who our God really is. So if you're confused about who God is, you don't have to have all these big verses memorized. You can just look at the names of what we call God and that describes who God is. And that angel specifically told Mary, name him Emmanuel, means God with us. God is with us 
because God is for us. And the name of God should mean something to you. Have you, when was the last time you just paused and thought about the name of God? The name of God. What's in a name? The Bible has a a lot of examples about this, but I'll give you one this morning. But Jesus, um, he, one of the disciples' name was Simon. Simon was kind of a coward. And uh, he, he, just, he was always just a little, he, he had a lot of fear operating in his life. And Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And in the verse that he does this, he, he's, he's actually, what he's doing is he's saying, Peter, you're gonna be an example for the people after you, that the people of God will be rocks. They will be unshakable. So how do you feel about the name of God? Maybe because of how people have re- represented God to you. When you think about the name of God, you think about someone who's gonna judge you, somebody you need to hide from when you're in sin or when, when you're doing something wrong. You need to hide from that judgmental God. When in reality, when we're going through trials, we need God close to us. Or maybe you think God is a phony. That you've, you've heard people talk about Jesus and you think this whole Christmas thing, well, this is just some weird ancient tradition story and maybe Jesus is real, but he's certainly not the savior. Well, the problem with that is that he claimed to be Lord. And so as C.S. Lewis says, there's three options and a good moral teacher is not one of them. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because he claimed to be God. So he couldn't just be a good moral teacher. He would have been a liar if he wasn't actually God and said he was. Or maybe he was just really messed up in the head. Maybe he was a lunatic. Or maybe he really was Lord. But you've been looking at him as phony. Or maybe because of the things you've gone through, you see God as cruel. You think, if God is is real, why would he allow me to go through these different things? And, And if he's actually real, he would have protected me through those moments. So because of your experience, you think God's cruel. I just encourage you today, don't build a theology based on your experience. Build a theology on what the word of God says of who he is. I would hope that when you think of the name of God, you think of someone that is close to you. Someone that you can trust. And as we think of his name, why don't we take a second for a moment and imagine God saying your name. Imagine God saying your name. How do you think he says it? My four-year-old son is always causing trouble around our house. Actually, it's my two-year-old daughter lately who's causing all the problems. And so what happens is in my imperfections, sometimes the way I say their name is not the kindest. I walk in, she's taking literally everything out of the kitchen cupboards, all over the floor, made a mess, dumped cereal everywhere. And I'm like, Navy, how could you do this to me? Navy, why? And I think sometimes we think that's how God says our name. Are you kidding me? You messed that up again? Are you, why would you fail like that? And we, this is where we get God wrong. We, we think that's how he says our name, like a child getting in trouble. Too many people see God as, as judgmental and, and that's their first image of him. But I want you today to imagine as we close this message, God saying your name and smiling. I got this beautiful little four-week-old baby at home. She's never done anything wrong. Every time she does do something wrong, I'm sleeping through it. It's my wife struggling through the middle of the night with her. But this baby's so perfect. 
She never swore at me. She never pulled my hair. She never done nothing wrong. She's a beautiful little baby. And so every time I say her name, oh, she's so perfect. I say her name with a smile. Her name's Clover. So every time I say her name, I say, hi, Clover. I say it with a smile. Hi, Clover. I want to encourage you today. That's how God says your name. He says it with a smile. And this Christmas, it might be chaotic. It might be lonely, but I want to encourage you. Either way, Emmanuel, God is with you. He sent his Holy Spirit to be with you. He didn't just leave you. He didn't just come and send his son and have 33 years and he died for you and it's all good. Now he's gone away and you figure this nasty world out on your own. No, he specifically named Emmanuel. This is God with you. Maybe your family's gonna cause all kinds of drama this Christmas. I wanna encourage you. God's with you. Maybe there's somebody you're really not looking forward to seeing over this Christmas season. I wanna encourage you. God is with you. No matter what division and chaos may come, God is with you. The last line I wanna give you is Matthew uh, chapter 121. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Come on, be full of hope because you're saved from your sins. Even though your life isn't perfect, even though you're not perfect, we know we, we uh, the longer we have Jesus, we often get a little bit off track. We get a little bit familiar. The, the longer he's been in our lives, the easier it can be for us to forget how much he has done for us and will continue to do for us. You are set free, full of hope because you are saved from your sins. Jesus, Christmas is a reminder that if, th if things have gotten off track, you can still be full of hope. Don't let this season slip past without a strong reminder in your life that you can be full of hope because of what we read in this Christmas story. He could have left you on your own. Instead, what did he do? He sent his son this time. This is why we remember it this time of year because he could have left you on your own. You could have been left with the Old Testament law to pay for your old sins and your own sins. Instead, he chose grace. Instead, he chose Jesus. Instead, you're forgiven. Instead, you live free, free to change, free to change this world. And Christmas is a reminder that you are free. We can have hope because we know that one day Jesus will return again. It's not just about living in freedom right now, but that there's a new world coming and it's a beautiful, incredible world. And I'm not talking about living in a form of escapism uh, where we, you know, just sit there going, ah, everything is fine. The world is burning down around me, but it's okay, Jesus is coming back. No, we can be full of hope because if we're gonna change this world, we need to know there's a new world coming and in that new world, I, that's something I want to make a massive impact on. I hope that you have that hope that you want to make a massive impact on that world. I'm talking about eternity. You can be filled at hope, filled with hope this Christmas because of that. I'll, I'll leave you with this one last C.S. Lewis quote. He, he says this, I love it. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So, so often we're just so focused on what's in front of us that day, what our to-do list that day, the problems of that day. And, and C.S. Lewis is encouraging us, hey, aim at heaven. 
Think about heaven problems, solve heaven problems, build an eternal life, build a legacy of people behind you saying, thank God that person reached out to me. Thank God that person led this family in this way. Because as you think about heaven, the problems of earth will get thrown in. And if you're finding that nothing in this world truly satisfies you, like we talked about at the start of this message, I wanna encourage you today. And it's because you were made for another world and eternity with Jesus. And the hope that you can have this Christmas is that you can solidify that eternity right here and now today. Whether you're in the room or watching online, every service, we always wanna give people an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I talked a little bit about all Jesus has done for us. Well, he, Christmas time is, he came. He was born on this earth. Then he lived this beautiful, perfect life. Gave us this wonderful word of God. This, he's shown us so much that, obviously there's Old Testament written before that, but long story short, he, he gave us all these words about him and, and we, we know about him because of this and he lived this perfect life for us and then he died on the cross for our sins. And, and it says in the Bible, all you gotta do Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I'm just gonna give you a quick opportunity right now to pray a prayer after me. Just repeat this prayer after me and you can be saved. You can be right with Christ and you can have hope for your eternity now because you've accepted Jesus into your heart. I'm just gonna call, ask everyone who, who calls Celebration Church home to repeat after me. We're gonna pray with these people making this beautiful, important decision today. Let's give you one last, more, one last second to think about it. But all you gotta do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Maybe you prayed a prayer like this before, you kinda went off on your own. You can use today as a rededication to ask him to come into your heart. Let's pray together. Come on, repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth at Christmas time and living a perfect life and then dying on the cross for my sins. Today I ask that you come into my heart. I believe that you are my Lord. And from now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for everybody who prayed. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.